Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. G'day and welcome to The Call. 10 stocks as picked by you, two experts, one hour. It is Monday, June 20th. I'm Andrew Gagan. Good to have your company. Our two experts for today's show, Nathan Somersandaran from Deep Data Analytics and Gaurav Sodhi from Intelligent Investor. Welcome to both of you. Nathan, you were just taking a look at the local market, fell off a cliff. Uh, <laughs> like just, as yeah. I was walking, I, was, I was, came in and I looked and I said, what, what happened there? Yeah. yeah. Right. How are you looking at things at the moment? Um, like, like the kid in the back seat, are we there yet? Um, yeah. Still looking for a bottom. Uh, I think we're way too early. Um, I think we're going through, I mean, we expected this. Um, you know, it's, it's been a long time coming. A um, bit of reality check running through. Uh, and it's amazing how central banks waited this long to react. And now it's just getting to that point where I think the reality will have to flow through. What still surprises me how always things take longer than what you think. Central banks took a lot longer to react than what I thought. And we still are not seeing any downgrades coming through. And we're a month away from reporting season. So I think the market is starting to worry about the reality of what is going to come in the next month. Yeah, right. Could be much more pain ahead then um, if you're taking that view. Gaurav, yeah, how are you seeing it then right now? Yeah, it's, it's starting to get ugly, Andrew. Um, hello, Nathan. Sorry, I'm not in, in studio with you today, mate. Um, yeah, it's, it's starting to get ugly. There's there's now a whiff of panic, and um, I, I would concur that I think this needs to continue for some time. Um, it's gratifying to see crypto starting to crack, not because I wish uh, crypto holders lose all their money, but I think this was the, the greatest uh, bubble and a source of, of, of great euphoria. And for this to be over, we need to see that euphoria end. We need to see that bubble burst. So I think that started in earnest now. And so that's, that's for what it's worth, a good sign. But I would be playing defensively here. This is not a time to be making big moves or to be a hero. Uh, go slow. Um, I think it is time to act, but acting, acting slowly and cautiously. This is not 2020 when you, know, you really needed to be quick and there was plenty of opportunity. I think the opportunities here are to be to be looked at quite um, quite deliberately and, and take your time. Yeah, you've got to do your homework clearly in this sort of market. All right, well, let's um, take a look at what we're going to see and uh, get your view over the first half of the show. We'll be taking a look at West Farmers, Polynovo, Nine Entertainment, Illumina and Elders. Now, for our stock of the day, a bit of news out this morning as far as the REITs are concerned. Shopping Centres Australia and Vicinity Centres, both companies out. uh, SCA, they're snapping up five convenient shopping centres from Centuria's Prime West for $180 million and Vicinity upgrading its full year guidance with its preliminary valuations to the end of June, getting a $245 million boost. Now expects full year funds from operations to be at or above 12.6 12.6 cents per security, saying the lift reflects the strength of the retail sales and improved negotiation outcomes with retailers. So, 
in that space, REITs, what do our experts think? And I guess given where the property market is going at the moment, bearing in also mind uh, that um, I guess REITs tending to pay a higher dividend than your average stock. So that may be important, particularly during a recession. Gaurav, what are your thoughts? What constitutes a high dividend has just been smashed because of coal producers who I think are going to pay routinely pay sort of 30% yields or so for the next 12 months and, and maybe a little bit further than that. Um, so I don't find REITs particularly attractive at the moment. One phenomena to be aware of is that as as rates fell, cap rates, um, which is how property properties are valued on on the the books of these businesses, they they fell, and and so property prices have expanded because of lower interest rates, and that's now going into reverse. So, um, I, I don't think vicinity and and SCA are, are the real targets of this, but there's going to be a lot of property REITs, a lot of businesses who are recognising higher property um, prices through their through their um, P and L. And all those gains are now going to have to reverse. So I'd be very, very cautious about jumping onto uh, property REITs at the moment. Um, the two you mentioned look okay. I think the consumer's in a bit of trouble, and I and I don't not particularly bullish on retail. So I think it's going to be hard to to pass on uh, rent increases. Um, but but the, I don't view this as a source of of any great opportunity. Um, I, I don't think this is an area that's particularly interesting. I will single out, however, um, I think Brickworks, which owns um, uh, the, one of the largest, the, the second largest segment in Brickworks is actually a industrial property portfolio. Um, I think that is is still kind of interesting. Uh, they are exposed to higher interest rates, and I do think they're going to recognize lower property prices running through their books. But A, they have a hugely expanding um, uh, rental book that's uh, that's coming through, and it's going to I think it's going to double in the next five or six years. And they're also sitting pretty with with coal dividends. Uh, you know, they own 26% of Solpats, which in turn owns a big chunk of New Hope Corporation. And I think coal dividends are going to flow from New Hope to Solpats into Brickworks and help offset any property losses. I think that's a nice little exposure in Brickworks, and the price is attractive right now too. Okay. All right. So that's one to take a look at, Nathan. So yeah, to Gaurav's point, I guess if you're looking at that uh, that um, property space, retail, residential, we know that's going to be under pressure at the moment. But perhaps industrial, maintaining what relatively attractive compared with the others. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess when you when the market is going down like this, you have to look at everything and look at it in in its own aspect. Um, the thing to remember, and Gaurav's right, if you look at REITs pre GFC. It's the only sector that never actually surpassed the pre-GFC high because they issue a lot of shares through the down cycle to basically hold themselves together and dilute themselves out. So the growth into the future gets diluted very quickly. And if you look at the pandemic, SEA just got up to that pre-pandemic level and uh, VCX is still below it. These things get diluted out. So the next recession cycle, you're going to get diluted again. Mm. So the cycle in property trust and... Again, both of these things are remade into a new structure post-GFC. Why? Because as anyone would realize, if you had the price chart going back to most of these stocks, you'll see how it's a lot lower for most REIT stocks. So the reality here is REITs are a good investment after the recession. It's not a good investment going into a recession cycle. We are going into a recession cycle or a slowdown cycle. It doesn't have to be a recession, but that will hit. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine who runs a small business in Met Center, 
and numerous stores there have not paid rent for nearly mm. a year. So they, on the books, they look like they're doing well, but in reality, most of those guys are going to get into trouble and most of them won't pay the rent. So the down cycle is coming. So this is not a time for REITs. As good as they've done, this is the cycle where you take your money and go somewhere else. Okay, so that's a no, particularly, and SCA vicinity, not interested? No, I think, look, they're okay, but the problem is, you know, as they said, when the water goes up, tide pushes everyone up, and when yeah. the water goes down, the tide gets everyone down. So these guys are going to struggle just as much. Yep, fair enough. All right, okay, well, let's uh, get on to the stocks as picked by you. Our first one is a biggie, West Farmers. Uh, Scott wanted to know about this, saying uh, you made an initial investment at around $47, around 50% of the total expected allocation he has. He thought it was good at that level. It is now sitting around $42. Uh, he's saying, is it worth averaging the remaining 50% in the next 12 months uh, in, say, two to three more tranches? So, um, Nathan, what are your thoughts? Of course, it is the diversified business there, but concerned clearly with a couple of its big businesses in the likes of uh, Kmart um, and Bunnings, obviously, and what's going to happen with discretionary spending. Yeah, look, I think I think West Farmers is good. It's diversified. Um, it's what we talk about as the listed private equity. Um, you know, you've got your Macquarie's, your Goodman Groups, your West Farmers, you've got your Infratels. They manage multiple different business divisions. They're very good at trading assets. Um, West Farmers is, you know, they've gone into API, they've gone into lithium, they've, they've got a good part of the $10 billion that they got out of selling calls still on their balance sheet. So they're waiting for things to go really bad before they acquire growth. So again, you get that uh, optionality of them turning it around. Now this has actually underperformed all the other listed private equities that I would look at. So I think the viewer is right. I think you have to look at it, there's downside risk. again. Um, I try and be bullish when everyone else is bearish and everyone's bearish, so you've got to look at the bullish side of things. I think West Farmers, you want to accumulate over the next three to six months, and I don't know where the bottom is. It could happen in the next month, it could happen in two months, I don't know, but the reality is West Farmers, if you're looking at a stock that you want to hold in 10 years' time, 15 years' time, this is one of those stocks because they evolve with the market. And so I'd back management to do well, so I would be looking to acquire um, gradually through the next six months mm. and look for the cycle. Look, you're still going to get a good dividend. They've got a massive balance sheet. They're not going to go broke. Their assets are good. Um, they always get overvalued because people think they're good assets. Um, I still shop at Kmart. I still shop at Office, uh, you know, office Works. They're still very good. Bunnings is a gun place, you know just for the sausage rolls. Yeah. Um, so the reality is these places will do well. It's a cycle. Yeah. So right now you're getting all the cyclical stocks getting hammered and West Farmers is getting pulled down by that. I think it is one to buy gradually over the next three to six months. And I think over the next couple of years, you'll do well. Okay, so it's going in your bottom drawer. Yeah, it, it's a high quality business. It's one to buy for the next decade. Yeah, okay. Gaurav, do you agree? Andrew, before we get to that, can I dispel two myths about West Farmers? Um, one, and maybe the most important one, is that the uh, the, the sausages are worth getting. Um, <laughs> terrible. Um, the, the, kid, the kids he, are going to disagree he, with you. Come on, that's the, the only high, reason I can take the kids to Bunnings. This man lives in a high-end town, high standards. <laughs> no, I urge anyone just to avoid. My recommendation on the sausages, strong sell, avoid. <laughs> run, run away. 
they're just they're just horrendous. Um, and and the, and the second uh, myth to bust is that West Farmers is a conglomerate. Um, it is it is not a conglomerate. It does de- it, it matches a lot of the features of, of of those businesses in that it has a lot of disparate businesses kind of forced together with unified management. But Nathan is is um, unusually correct here. He he identified as a private equity firm, and that's right. The, the difference between a conglomerate and a PE firm is. Uh, West Farmers' willingness to trade assets on a whim. Um, you know, they'll buy and sell assets opportunistically, and I think that is um, something in their favour in a market like this. They have um, enormous uh, capital reserves at the moment, several billion dollar war chest, which I think will be meaningfully deployed in this in this downturn. I think that's going to be a source of tremendous value. Um, and the other thing that that's uh, that's I think sometimes forgotten is that, is that Bunnings. Everyone knows it's a wonderful business, but if you if you were to split Bunnings out from West Farmers, I think you'd get the current market cap. I, I think this is on a sum of the parts. Um, it's potentially under undervalued, um, and and many people think that West Farmers would never do it. But as I said, these guys have a history of trading assets. They're not sentimental about what they own. I think for the right price, they may actually split um, Bunnings off if the share price doesn't reflect its value. So, if, if, you know, I, I think you can, this is a wonderful business and I think it's reasonable value, but I, I do think it's going to go lower. Um, retail is in trouble. I think the consumer's in trouble and that will be reflected in, in West Farmers' uh, numbers um, to an extent that it hasn't been reflected yet. So I think I think you're a shot at getting this cheaper, but I, I do think it's interesting enough today. I, I call it a nibble. I think that's an official term we, we're that's using right, now. Taken that um, and I like the way Nathan's thinking about this as well. This is an opportunity to start building the, the um, uh, you know, a, a position in these very high-quality businesses that you can own for decades. Uh, and I'd certainly put West Farmers in that category. So I, I go nibble for now. Mm. I think you're a shot of, of just waiting and getting it a little bit cheaper. Yeah, well, I think you're agreeing then with, with Nathan because I'd read nibble as an accumulate. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yep. nibble is yep. the perfect term, yeah. yeah. I yeah. think over the next three to six months, you nibble gradually and you'll do well. But no nibbling the sausages, clearly. Oh, look, forget Durand. I mean, the man has too much of a high standard. Uh, I go through buying sausages like there's no tomorrow. (laughs) Spending too much time there. Spending too much money there, maybe. (laughs) All right, let's move on to our second one. Polynovo, uh, Heath wanting to know about this. It does develop and commercialise medical devices, um, in particular the treatment with burns and surgical wounds. Uh, Share price actually turned around in May. Um, bearing in mind the chair there, David Williams, made a series of purchases uh, <laughs> around of around $5 million. Um, it's a tricky space to operate in, Gaurav. Polynovo. Yeah, tricky space. I think what you mentioned there is key, that you do have some um, some insider buying, and, and the product is very, very good. Um, it's a product called, um, oh, let me see if I can get this, remember this, uh, Novazorb, I think I've got it right. Yep. Um, yeah, it's it's a um, it's it's a treatment for for skin where you can um, uh, it, it's a bandage type substance you can put on top of the skin and it, and it helps skin heal. Uh, it promotes better healing of the skin. Very popular among the medical community. Certainly gaining market share, but by no means an exclusively good product. There are competitors to this, and Polynova has to fight for market share using sales staff, marketing, and all the other tricks that. Um, medical businesses need to use to encourage hospitals to take up their goods. So, look, it's it's a very good product. Um, it's getting good traction. 
I just find valuation on a business like this has always been difficult. You could argue over the last five years, it wasn't very important. And it's impossible to argue that now. Valuation is absolutely crucial now. And when there's, uh, when you don't have a firm idea about what represents good value or when you should buy, I, I think one should probably avoid it for now. Um, if, if you're there, I don't, and you, and you know what you're doing and you have a reason for holding it, there's nothing wrong with the business at all. In fact, I think it's, it's showing a lot of promise and, and you can certainly hold it. But um, we need to be careful about price. And I just don't know how to value uh, Polynova at the moment. While there's, while there's negative operating cash flow, um, while there's not much cash in the bank, where there's a there's potential for a capital call, uh, there's, there's too much risky for me. So I'm, I'm going to go avoid. But if, if you're there and you know what you're doing, um, it, it's, a, it's a solid hold. Okay. All right. Right. Yeah, so I'm going to stick to this be optimistic, which is kind of weird for me. That's good. In the, in the recent cycle. We like it. <laughs> I'll be optimistic. Yeah. Now, let, let's start with the macro. Uh, Polynova is a biotech stock. That is not the stock you hold in an inflation cycle. So mm. it's been smashed. Yes, everything in that sector has been smashed. So let's take that out. So you've got a tax loss selling that's playing out. So that'll end in the next week. So you've got that working for you. The shorts are, I think it's three-year high, around 11%. So this is a fair amount of shorts. Grab's right. I think it's an interesting stock. Look, you're not buying Polynova like you buy West Farmers. This is not West Farmers. This is a much higher risk model, early stage. There's a lot of risk attached to it. So that anyone who's investing in this is a high risk investor. So if you're a high risk investor and you've held it down, I think it's a hold because directors are buying. It's still got a pretty good play. I think the product is interesting enough um, and the bad news is in and I think the tax loss selling is gonna clear out. See what happens in July. If you start to see share price starting to pick up as a selling should finish up at the end of this month, then I think it's an interesting one to hold. So if you're a high risk investor, I think Polynova is all right. And because you've got shorters at that point and you're already being smashed, your upside is actually interesting because if the shorters start to get out, you'll get a ramp up coming with very little news. So I think that that's the upside. It's an optionality on growth, uh, but Grav's right. They're, I mean, people got excited, but you know, they're, they're, there is competitors. Um, and we had a few big fundies talk the short story as well, it didn't help. Mm. So all of these things have worked against it. But look, you gotta, if you're gonna swim against the tide, take the high risk beaten up dog. And this is one of those. So biotechs are not in love because in an inflation cycle, people prefer commodities. Everyone's punting on commodities. Now the money is coming out of commodities. Mm. If commodities continue to slide and the steam comes out of it, you know, whenever you hear the word super cycle, run away. Um, that's usually the peak and it's happened again. So if that does happen, usually the similar risk return is in the biotech space. So it'll get a bit of love. So for me, it, I, you don't want to rush out. You want to wait and see how this plays out after June 30. Mm -hmm. But if you're, if you're there, I wouldn't sell. I'd be holding through because directors are playing ball. You are there for the high risk return. I don't think that's changed. Yep. Okay. You're playing the contrarian and there you go again. Okay. You are holding it. Good one. Let's move on to nine. Shane wanted to know about this one. He's frustrated. He said, I he bought be. it uh, not long ago at $2.60. It's currently sitting at about $1.80. He said, I'm sick of seeing this continually getting sold off. Good day, bad day. Uh, what to do with it? Uh, saying they had a good earnings report. has continually been sold off since then. Thought it was a good, solid buying opportunity and a good company. Uh, so should he get out or should he have more patience? Nathan, of course, you know, it's in that space where ad revenue is certainly going to be under pressure in this current environment. Yeah, I mean, look, it's a cyclical stock, classic mm. cyclical. Uh, you know, mm. you're worried about recession cycle. <laughs> this is not the place to be. It was a crowded trade. 
everyone was in it because it's the biggest dog in media. And so it's a default choice. It's like buying BHP for commodities. You don't know anything, just buy it. So that's where it benefited from. And it really didn't do much through most of 21, 22. It went sideways so because it peaked too early and everyone priced everything in. And so you know when a cyclical stock is going sideways, eventually something's going to hit it. And bang, recession risk and it's tanked. Uh, I'm not surprised. We actually prefer the cheap media stocks. Uh, so we've been playing it through Southern Cross and O Media. They've been smashed as well. So they're not only getting hammered by people trying to get out, because especially the small cap fund is in a cyclical worry, um, then you get the tax loss selling hitting it as well. So these kind of things are hitting the media sector. Um, the good and the bad, everything's getting hammered. But for me, when it comes to these kind of turnaround stories, in a slow recovery cycle likely to play out, I prefer the small media stocks. So we still like Southern Cross. I mean, Southern Cross is doing buybacks, mm -hmm. paying a dividend, and it's getting smashed. So your dividend is so much bigger now. Um, so I think that they are much more stable to hold out, where I think um, Nine Entertainment will see a much more tougher outlook for the bigger players. So, yeah. Um, do you it, hold it or do you sell it? Yeah, it's, it's always hard to call when it's fallen from $3 to $1.80. Yeah. Um, I think you can hold it. Um, mm. I think if you've taken the hit, you hold it. Um, but it'll take time. The next cycle will be slower. The media sector is not the one you're going to run into in this current cycle. But if you're there, <coughs> look, they're not going to go bust. Uh, but it may take probably six to 12 months before the recovery cycle starts. Okay, Gaurav. Yeah, a, a tricky one, Andrew. If you'd asked me um, eight, 10 years ago, I would have said nine and seven were, were in trouble. They faced an existential um, threat. I, I don't think we can say that anymore. I, I think both nine and seven West have done really well in assembling um, assets together and conjuring up the business model that generates real cash flow, keeps them in business, and is uh, is somewhat attractive. And, and they've done that in similar ways. They they use broadcast assets, uh, you know, the TV stations, along, uh, along with um, traditional uh, print media, digital media, and, uh, and other digital assets, and they mesh them all together. They share costs, they share content, um, and they cross-promote. And a, a result of all of that, and, and regulation changes have helped, so the, the payments coming from uh, Google and Facebook have certainly helped, but a result of all of that is that this is a, a better business model now than it was in the past, and, and I think some of these cash flows are sustainable. Um, but as Nathan identified, these is a still a very cyclical business. Half the profit still comes from traditional broadcast revenues. and. Mm. In, in this sort of environment where, as I keep saying, the, the consumer is facing higher mortgage costs, higher cost of living, uh, and discretionary spending will be crunched, um, that that uh, broadcast revenue will fall. I think that's almost a certainty. And that probably reflects why the share price has gone down. Yep. The, the trick is, will the digital profits help offset that? Um, look, I, I think this is a weak hold. I, I think you can actually hold this because there's enough cash flow. Uh, there's a bit more debt here than I would like. And that's the thing that I would be watching. If that debt is not being paid down or if it starts to increase, I would sell this immediately. Right. But, but on... On that proviso, I think it's, I call it a weak hold. Okay. All right, that's nine, entertainment. Next, move on to Illumina. Uh, it's that joint venture interest in bauxite mining, alumina refining, uh, chemicals and smelting. Also, that 40% interest in Alcoa. Frank, wanting to know about this. In fact, uh, Gaurav, uh, Frank's asking you specifically uh, what your thoughts are on it, given the contrasting global events that are affecting it. 
Yeah, Illumina is one of the strangest and most complicated businesses I cover. Um, its sole asset is a 40% stake in uh, a business called AWAC, which is the world's largest supplier of, uh, of bauxite and Illumina. Um, now, you need to know something about the industry. Uh, basically, bauxite gets turned into Illumina, which gets turned into aluminium. And uh, in the past, you've had all three of those commodities kind of integrated in these big, big uh, global players. Um, and that's now changing. And you're getting specialist aluminium producers who require um, uh, sources of bauxite and sources of alumina. And that's a, that's a potential opportunity for a business like, uh, like AWAC or, or alumina. Um, and, and so I, we own this, actually, I should disclose, uh, for that opportunity. Um, what the, the investment case here is, is really that these guys own the, the largest, lowest cost mines in the world. Their margins have been below average. And uh, the, the, the new supply is really limited um, to those integrated players. So the, the, the supply of, of tradable bauxite and alumina is not as vast as as the aggregate supply of bauxite and alumina would suggest. Um, and, and I think there's an opportunity here for alumina to start increasing margins and um, and capturing uh, historically uh, margins that have been consistent with what they've done in the past. So if they can do that, I think this is a potentially a $3 stock and it should generate pretty decent dividends along the way. Um, the, the problem hanging over it is that it's in a $1 billion um, tax dispute at the moment, where its potential liability is about $400 million. And, and I think that's holding the, the stock back. And it's never nice to buy a business when it is under a threat of litigation. Um, but look, uh, with that proviso, I think you can still buy this. Um, you just have to keep your portfolio limits in check. Yep. So I'll call this a speculative buy and, and keep your portfolio limits fairly low on this. It looks very, very cheap, but keep in mind that there is an external threat um, and uh, it, it's not really in control of its destiny being a passive owner of a very large asset. So for okay. that, those reasons, call the spec buy. Yep. Okay. Nathan? Yeah, look, it's a commodities are an interesting space at the moment. Everyone was in it. It was the obvious call and, you know, it was, became the crowded trade, the super cycle. Mm. That was the top. Uh, and you knew when global growth went down, it was inevitably going to have a downswing. And because everyone was in it, you knew that it was going to be aggressive and we're seeing that play out. So any kind of risk in this sector, you're going to see decent pullback because everyone's trying to get out of the door yep. at the same time. Um, look, I think Grab's right. I think it's an interesting stock, but it's got a few <coughs> things holding it back, as Grab explained, and he's very good at the commodity sector. I actually have to listen to him in these things. Um, so, but I would say, where's the sentiment? So I'm actually waiting for commodities to come back to pick up these stocks. So uh, with AWC, I've got my target around the dollar forty, right? Because okay. if you look at you know since the pandemic, that's been around the ballpark. It comes down to where people are willing to take the risk return. I still think there is more China down downside risk to be played out. Like we're getting surprised today when iron ore is coming off and uh, steel's coming off. And I, I follow steel. Steel kind of tells me if you look at the concrete data and the steel data, the construction play in China is not going as fast as what people think. Despite the stimulus being thrown out there, it's mainly to hold it together. So we're not seeing the rampant growth yet. So till that happens, I think all commodities are under pressure. So I'm not jumping in. I would keep an eye on it. This is in the shopping list uh, because when everyone hates it, this thing falls. That's when you want to buy. Okay. So I think in the next couple of months, you're going to get a, a buy opportunity, especially take a time into the reporting season. I reckon you'll get this around reporting season, probably around the dollar forty. Okay, so wait. Well, that's a recurrent theme you guys are pushing today is just be patient yes. to these opportunities. 
All right, we better pick up the pace. Uh, our fifth one, Elders. Uh, Carlos wondering about this. Of course, it is the agribusiness. Uh, pays out a handsome, or pay, just recently paid out a handsome interim dividend. Um, and we know where uh, ag, uh, these you know, particularly fertilisers and food stocks, they're going at the moment. Nathan? Oh, I love it. I'll keep it short and love sweet. Love it. Right. It is the stock for the thematic. Uh, they are so much better managed than a number of years ago. They mm. used to be a complete dog's breakfast. Um, so credit to management, they are doing well. The cycle is great. The macro is great. There's global hunger games. It's, you know, everything is perfect for them. They clip the ticket. It's, it's a good dividend stock. It's a solid stock. It, you know, I think this is going to play out for the next year or so. I don't know how what happens after that. We'll follow the data. But at this point in time, I'm more than happy to buy elders on any pullback. All the brokers have got it at $14, $15. It's yep. back at $12. Um, I think it's a good uh, price to buy into it. Gaurav, do you agree? Gracious with me earlier in a, um, with, with AWC, but I'm afraid he's a better man than I am because I have been dreading elders turning up. <laughs> Nathan was... was talking to me about this probably 18 months ago, maybe maybe around that time, at least 12 months ago, uh, harping on about how this thing was the best thing ever. And and I, of course, just thought he was mad. Um, and he's been 100% correct. So look, um, I've completely missed the turnaround in elders. And I chalked that up to uh, a long history in the share market where elders has just been a basket case. And, and that can be a huge experience, can be a disadvantage. And it has been for me in this case, because I've always known elders to be a, a lousy business and it clearly that's no longer the case this is this is turned and um it's looking very cheap on the numbers the business model itself is quite attractive because it's it's uh, cap more capital light than i would have expected and it generates reasonable returns so it's it's definitely worth um looking at even if you only invest in higher quality stuff my concern is that it's still very cyclical everyone loves it i don't want to Nathan to be right and um, <laughs> I, I psychologically am, am finding it difficult to buy this you know cyclical businesses you want to buy them when the numbers look terrible and no one wants to touch them Nathan got it right first time I, I, I'm not convinced this is a buy today but it I, I grant you that it, it does look very attractive on the numbers and and kudos to management on turning this one he around. He just can't help himself. He no, can't he can't. Um, all right, come on <laughs> give, give the man some credit. Uh, all right so it's a watch then from you yeah uh, yeah, just just a watch. That's okay, all. all right. All right, let's uh, summarise where we've been for the first half of the show. We began with those REITs, uh, SCA and vicinity centres. Uh, both, no, not really interested, particularly given what's going on in property at the moment. Uh, although Gaurav did say he liked Brickworks, which obviously has exposure in industrial property. Uh, first stock, as picked by you, was West Farmers. Uh, Nathan hasn't accumulated on it, particularly over the next three to six months of where the stock, although warns that it could well do, go down. Down more from here. Similarly, from Gorev, he's calling it a nibble. We'll call that an accumulate. Uh, Polynovo in the biotech space. Uh, Gorev certainly impressed by the um, by the company and its products, but at the moment it, it, he's avoiding it. Although, if you have it, it's a perhaps hold it. Also, a hold there. High risk hold from Nathan. Um, Nine Entertainment, a hold from both. Uh, Illumina, a speculative buy from Gorev. He owns it. And uh, Nathan's waiting for it to fall a little further before he would buy it. And uh, just finally, their elders buy on a pullback, says Nathan, and Gaurav is watching it. All right, uh, let's uh, see how our uh, 
our own high conviction fund is tracking here at uh, the core, which is picked by our investment committee. The latest episode of that committee meeting is live for you to watch at uh, ausbiz.com. So let's check in on it. West Farmers and Elders, both in there. There you go. And Resmit, they were uh, added this month, in fact, shifting the original allocations. Uh, so keep sending in your requests and keep the call switched on to see which stocks our committee will be looking at next. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. All right, speaking of next, the second half of the show, we're going to take a look at REA Group, Propel Funeral Partners, FSA Group, Whitehaven Coal and Webjet. So let's kick it off with REA Group. Vaha wanting to know about this, uh, mentioning both of you, in fact, uh, that you reviewed it in November last year when Investing World was, well, certainly a different place. Uh, you both apparently classed it as one of the highest quality businesses on the ASX but went with the hold due to its valuation. It was at around $165 back then. Now it's fallen to around 100. He wants thoughts on its current uh, position given the macro environment. If now is a good price, uh, should he be holding it in his long-term portfolio? He goes on to say first level thinking is that even if the property market tanks in the next six months, it will still benefit as people will need to sell and have to advertise uh, to get the premium of the property sold. He says, I don't hold it. <laughs> having all said that, but uh, he wants to know whether it's a high, he thinks it's a high quality business. Yes. Uh, he does go on. Let's get to it. Um, so, Gorev, REA Group. Not only is it one of the highest, I, I would argue that REA is probably the best quality business on the ASX, and I would struggle to find something better than it. It just generates so much value for the user compared to the price that it charges. And that's not the unofficial <laughs> measure of value, but uh, but um, I'll use it in this case. Um, is it a buy today? Look, uh, we've, we've talked about this internally. Um, the house view is that it's not quite there yet. And the main reason for that is that no one really knows how this stock behaves in a downturn. We haven't had a recession in, what, 35, 40 years in Australia. Um, we haven't had a sustained property downturn in Australia, have we, ever? I don't even know. In, in my memory, I don't have one. So we don't know how this, how this business behaves in those environments. And there's lots of competing theories. Some people reckon that, um, you know, as, as the caller alluded to, that, uh, that, that price doesn't really, property prices don't matter. What matters is, is volume. And in a slow market, maybe people pay to get ad, more advertising. And, and that's certainly plausible. I think that's, that's a good idea. It's possible, but we just don't know that. The counter to that is that, you know, a lot of their volume is actually done by um, uh, developers who are building new products and building new apartments and putting them on um, REA for sale. And in a, in a really bad market, all that volume just disappears. And that could be up to 20% of the entire volume. So Whoa. to decide. I, I don't. Sorry, Gaurav, I think we're losing you at the moment. Um, see if we can get you back, but let's go to Mathan and see what his thoughts. So best quality business on the ASX, however, Nathan, uh, Gorev's not buying it at the moment. Yeah, look, I'm, 
I agree with him. I, I think it is a really high quality business. Um, you know, I've been in the industry nearly 30 years, and for the first 20 years uh, as a broker in different places, every quant funder asks you the same question. When do I short REA? When do I short zero? When do I short seek? These are the questions you always get. Yeah. Um, REA is the best of the lot. Um, really good business model, really good proposition. They've got multiple gears they can pull in a bad cycle. But again, we haven't seen a property cycle really go south since the 90s. Early 90s is the last time we had a recession and we actually had a proper cycle. Mm. Everyone assumes that somehow someone will pump money into the property market directly or indirectly and all of those things are being already used up. So we're going into a cycle that people don't know. <clears throat> so I think there is a downside risk, but geez, these guys are good. Uh, so you you know, you know, never say never. Um, I think, uh, look, similar to West Farmers, these guys are that quality mm. that yes, I think the market struggles over the next couple of years for property. Yes, property developers are just talking to a, a lawyer friend of mine and they said there's a lot of people going under in the construction cycle. So that's gonna flush out. So there's a lot of property developers that'll go, but they usually then sell the on-sendle project to someone else and the bigger guy consumes all of that and runs it. Mm. So I think REA holds up, but I think it struggles. The sentiment will be weak. So I think over the next three to six months, it'll struggle just like West Farmers. So this will be another nibble. I think it's high quality business that over the next two to three years, you're gonna do well but the multiples people were paying were extreme, and that's why we were worried about it before, and that's playing out. So I think this is the time when you have to look at these things. So I would say nibble through the next six months, and I think over the, the next 12 to 18 months, you'll be doing okay. This is one where you're not gonna worry about that, it's gonna go bust. Yep, all right. Gaurav, we got back, you back. Uh, do you wanna just quickly finish up what, what you were saying? Just, just ran out and just, uh, it's, it's chaos around here today. Nothing's really working. But um, look, I was just going to um, acknowledge my own ignorance on, on REA. I don't have a price for it. I'm not sure when to buy it. And in that, in that instance, there are lots of businesses. Everything's down. Everything's fallen. I've got a whole group of stocks that I have more certainty about and that are more interesting now than they were. I would wait a bit longer. I think in this market, patience is rewarded and there's no need to jump in. I'm going to call it a hold. Mm. Um, and and as, I, as I don't know if you caught that, but, but that's a result of, um, of ignorance rather than any sure. strong conviction. Um, but it is, this is the time to start doing work. Um, we're doing work on REA and, uh, and I would encourage everyone to be, to be working on it and uh, having an, a price in mind for it now. Okay. All right. Okay, let's move on to Propel Funeral Partners. Dawn wanting to know about this. Um, we know what it does. And uh, co-founders, they recently sold parcel of shares that may have seen it tip uh, negative because it has been running up significantly since the pandemic essentially began. It just come off since then. Um, Nathan, how are you seeing Propel Funeral Partners? Geez, there's so many puns I can throw in here. No, don't. <laughs> don't do it. I just, I'm telling myself, don't do it. Um, I look, it's an interesting one. So you, you look at InvoCare, the, the experience of going through what happened with InvoCare, what mm. happened in UK, pre-planning funerals that killed off the margins, literally. Um, and that started to hurt the business model and that's come through. Now, I tend to look at these things on, because this is a defensive yield. So what, what are you paying for the yield? So InvoCare pays about 2%. Um, this is slightly higher and it ran too far. So before that pullback, its yield was close to InvoCare or even less. Mm. So they were paying too much for it. So obviously the, the owners were thinking, I'll take some money off the table. Makes sense. Uh, this is not 
this is not a high growth business. So reality is when you get people paying stupid money, uh, feed the ducks. So they got out and that's telling you that the market has peaked. This is a, a, a great sector to look at when growth is you know, struggling and people got cheap money and you gotta buy something. Uh, we're not in cheap money anymore. So yep. this is, the sector has had its run, you're coming late to the cycle, no. No, that's no. just that bottom line, no, no. on the stock. <laughs> All right, Gaurav. Yeah, another, another tricky one, Andrew. Um, there are two competing forces moving propel at the moment. Um, one is that the death rate in Australia has been unusually low over the pandemic, which is a sentence I never thought I'd say. Um, but once that death rate normalizes, there should be a little bit of an uplift um, for both Invocare and Propel. So I think you'll see that coming through in the numbers over the next few years. And, and that'll be a nice normalization of what's been a, a terrible little period for this industry. But on the flip side, there's a longer structural problem um, in funerals. And, and that's because this is an industry that has been structurally ripping off its customers and over earning for, I, I would say, probably decades. Um, you know, you look at the margins that Invocare has routinely, routinely earned um, and uh, they're just extraordinary. And why is that? You may ask. It's it's not because of scale or brand. I, I, I posit that the, the reason that, that this industry has taken so much margin is that it's monetized emotion. You know, funeral is a, is a really um, emotional event. And in the past, it's been uh, organized um, at the point of maximum emotion as well. And so uh, people forget about um, competing on price. People forget Forget about um, all the normal things that hold them back with their purchases. They all get thrown out the window, and and this industry has been able to exploit that and and turn those emotions into high margins. And the reason I think that's flipping around is because um, prepaid funerals are now growing enormously to, to such an extent that Invocare actually runs now a funds management business inside its own inside its company because they're getting so much cash from prepaid uh, funerals that they have to invest that cash and it's effectively a mini funds management business as well once you do that you take the emotion out of this industry and you turn what is uh, emotionally high uh, margins back into rational competitive margins and i think that that's happened in the uk where um, in industry margins have uh, fallen lower permanently and I think it's happening here as well so I'm not I'm not optimistic about this 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 appears to be a well-run business um, and I think you can construct a, a reasonable case for owning it but I wouldn't okay it's a it's a for me okay that's no from both then all right our next one is FSA group uh, the non-bank lender Sam saying with inflationary pressures on households and future rate rises is this going to create additional demand for debt agree, uh, agreements and re- not refinancing for which FSA should benefit? Uh, government support may also prove more difficult in an inflationary environment. Nathan and Gorev, he wants your opinion. Gorev. FSA, yes. Um, mm. These guys own a business called Fox Davies, which is, as, as you say, Andrew, a, um, a debt agreement business. It's been run by, by I think they're founders, but if not founders, they, they certainly act like founders. It's a very good management team that runs this business. It's always looked super cheap on the multiples. And we've gone through this very long bull market where debt agreements haven't always been the most lucrative place to be. So the business hasn't performed particularly well over a long period of time. Um, 
will that change now? That is the question. You know, we, now that we're going into a different kind of economic climate, you really need um, debt agreements to, to start um, to start delivering for the for this company to start making more money and finally um, recognizing its potential. I'm. I remain a little bit unconvinced because uh, competitors can have avoided this industry. There's not really been a serious deployment of capital here. There's not been serious competition here. And um, and I think that might change once uh, it's clear that this debt agreements are a lot more interesting than they have been over the last 10 years. So I'm not sure it's that easy to make uh, make um, additional profits. Um, and, and I think a low multiple is warranted. I'm going to call this a hold because it is very well managed. I think management take great care with this company and, mm. and you need someone to do that because the writing debt agreements has to be a, a cautious and conservative activity. But I, I don't think this is a screaming opportunity. This is okay. a, a hold only. Yep. Nathan? Yeah, look, the last 18 months, it's done nothing. Mm. It's gone sideways. I mean, everything's gone up. Mm. You know, you, you can buy the biggest dog under the sun and it went up. So the reality is that tells you that the sector is doesn't have the kick when the economy is killing it. So how is it going to do when the economy slows down? Um, I think you're, you're buying the option of losing money. There's not a lot of option going up. So if, if, you're, if you're there to make money, you're not trying to buy everything. This one is just too hard. I, I just don't see the upside. I mean, one of the big debt traders is someone like Credit Corp, and it's on a slide. That sector is struggling. Mm. Um, I think the risk return in this space is just too much. Um, and if, you know, in the last 18 months odd, if you're not shooting the lights out because everyone got handouts, everyone got freebies, everyone got bailed out, if you're not doing well at, during that cycle, yep. how are you going to do well in a recession? So just just too hard. Avoid. Yep. Yep. Okay. All right. Moving right along, and let's turn off our ESG filter. We're yeah. going to talk Whitehaven Coal. Jason wanted to know about this. It has uh, it's been carrying out a share buyback program. Uh, we talk about Nathan where commodities have been, and Whitehaven has just turned in the last couple of days off over ten percent. Yeah. Look, I mean, this is um, uh, look. This is annoyingly bad that I have to give credit to Gaurav. He actually picked this sector <laughs> way Jesus. early, um, and he it was bang on. I mean, yeah. it was a bit early, but look, when you're trying to pick the depth of a sector and you're trying to pick the turn, yeah. it's okay. I'll give him that. Uh, he picked it perfectly, and he's you know credit. He bought into it, so he's had a good run. Um, I think we pushed it as a buy a while ago, and it's gone a lot further. Um, look. The overall picture, I think the, no one knew is going to come into the supply, right? Mm. And with all the geopolitics, energy problems around the world, whether you like it or not, coal is going to be there. Uh, is it going to be there in 20 years' time? God knows. Is it going to be there in 10 years' time? God knows. I'm not betting on that. The market looks at the next couple of years. This, this is still going to churn out a lot of cash, pay a decent dividends. Mm. So if you're not worried about that, I think it looks holds up quite well. Now, the trick here is, as with all commodities, with global growth coming off, recession worries, they were going to come off. And that's happening right now. So if you held it, I think you've done really well. If, I would, if you're a trader, I would take profit, right? But if you are there to hold it for the dividend cycle, I think it still holds up quite well. So I'm not, you know, I'm not saying you've got to run out. So I think it will be okay for the next six to 12 months. I think it holds up quite well. Mm. So it is actually in a twisted way. I think the energy sector is quite defensive where we are. Yep. So I'm happy to hold it. So if you're a trader, I would sell and buy back. Uh, but if you're 
long and you want to hold it, I, I think it's okay. I think the energy sector is okay and I think coal holds up. Um, I'll throw it in for Gurav. I've had a few people ask me about thermal coal and what Gurav thinks of thermal coal in this cycle as well. Oh, okay, right. Over to you, Gaurav. Uh, I think thermal coal is is more attractive than met coal at the moment, um, only because met coal's future is is still guaranteed. There's still uh, capital being attracted into the met coal market. Um, no one disputes that met coal will be around in 20 years, whereas no one is opening thermal coal mines. No one's funding them. No one's insuring them. People aren't even investing in them. And and I think that alone um, makes it, uh, the existing producers uh, more valuable. Quality really matters in coal. Um, if you look at coal prices, the spreads between the different uh, qual uh, ben quality benchmarks are widening uh, quite extraordinarily, actually. So you only want to buy the highest quality miners, um, and which which New Ho uh, which uh, Whitehaven is it, historically it has enjoyed premiums to the benchmark. Um, it's had a few operating issues, but I think they're solved now, and I'm expecting to see premiums to the benchmark again in their results when they report. Should you buy it today? It's getting hit because the Queensland government and no doubt the New South Wales government are going to introduce um, super taxes on coal miners. Um, I, I think, look, I, I'm not completely against that idea. You know, these are supposed to be national resources. You know, super profits from miners over a long period of time aren't theoretically supposed to happen. Um, I don't mind um, a, a sensible tax being implemented. Uh, and I'm a, uh, you know, and, and Whitehaven Coal is my largest position. It's about 30% of my portfolio. So, you, you know, it's, it's uh, I'm speaking for a point of interest here. Um, but I think they're, they're doing, they're, they're talking about doing it quite intelligently. Uh, it's going to be a tiered, a tiered um, tax system. And I don't think it detracts too much from the total value today. Prices are so high, spot prices, I'm getting about 80% free cash flow yields for Whitehaven, which would suggest it's a screaming buy. But I would be a bit more cautious than that. I think where it is now, about 450, one can still buy it and still do very well. Mm. Um, I would be, I would expect your returns to come from dividends. Watch the dividend and buyback announcement in August. I think they're going to be very good. Um, this company has gone from having way too much debt to I think they're going to have a franking balance um, by the time they report, which just goes to show how much cash flow is being generated. Um, this is uh, I'm, I'm holding this for for longer than I would have anticipated. Um, I think there's still more. Here. Um, at 450, I think it's a buy. I would still be uh, nibbling okay. away at this. Yep. I'd watch portfolio limits. Don't be an idiot like me and, and put so much. I mean, my first batch was at 97 or 98 cents. So I bought at much, much lower prices, which is why my yep. portfolio is so high. But um, but I would not. I would suggest that this, if you're buying now, you, you should watch your portfolio. So, so this is care. still roughly a third of your portfolio. Yes. Wow. Okay. He's doing right. well. Yeah, <laughs> credit, credit is where credit is due. Absolutely. All right, let's round it out with Webjet. Victoria wanting to know about this, uh, uh, particularly obviously as we're back traveling. Uh, it, the company is in fact expecting to reach pre-pandemic booking levels sometime between October this year and March next. Gaurav, Webjet. Yes, Webjet. Um, look, Nathan and I have spoken about these in the past, and we've always said that um, the the capital base has changed. These guys have issued so much um, capital that um, that you can't really compare past prices to today's prices. Um, and um, 
inside intelligent west we, we've just got we, we've we've got mixed mixed views on webjet and we haven't really we, it's been a previous buy recommendation we've we've held it in our portfolios for a time we don't hold it now it's not a buy at the moment but um, there's just differing views. My own view is that this is a the, the best part of Webjet is business called uh, Webbeds, which aggregates um, hotel beds, um, integrates into the back end of um, inventory holders, and allows customers to bring up a whole bunch of uh, beds from different um, different inventory holders. It's a valuable business. It's very well managed. My view is that it's just a reseller, and there's nothing stopping those inventory holders from from displaying their product on on many other websites apart from Webbeds. The whole business has been grown from acquisition. It's difficult for me to see a lot of uh, native growth coming once you strip all those acquisitions out. And I'm not convinced um, that it can compete against the gorilla in the room, which is multiples of its size. So look, I, I, I it's not a buy from me, but I do acknowledge that one can make a sensible investment case out of Webjet and it's not a, a crazy idea at all. It's it For me, it doesn't make sense though. I'm gonna call it a sell, but, but keep in mind that that there is a sensible um, uh, a sensible thesis for Webjet, and and you're not silly for for, for buying it or holding it. Okay, Nathan. Um, yeah, Grab's right on the context that they've issued a crap load of shares. They've doubled, uh, same as Flight Center. Mm. So the share price actually gives you a completely incorrect uh, view. Um, so this is a trading stock. When people say pandemic, lock everything down, you buy this thing because it'll get smacked, uh, and then there's. I mean, both Flight Center and Webjet are highly shorted stocks. There's a reason for that. Because when this was around six bucks, it was higher than the pre-pandemic market cap. Uh, and same with Flight Center. When it got over 20 bucks, it's higher than the pre-pandemic. So you know the earnings is going to take time. And you know the cycle is going to take time. But the market cap has already caught up. So you, were, you knew there was going to be a pullback. And that's what's played out. So in a twisted way, people are going to travel more. Uh, these things now have had the pullback. And the shorts are still double digit, mm. I think it's 10 to 15 percent. It actually looks interesting for a trader, but it's not a long term holding. This is not an investment that you buy over the long term because I think the sector will be much more um, volatile than most of the other cyclicals. So I'd rather look at other cyclicals where it's a much more controlled environment where you can see how the cycle turns, where this is going to be, there's a lot of global players, there's got a lot of consumer weakness that's going to play out. It's hard to work out, especially after the dilution. So I think it's just too hard. But if you're a trader, it's an interesting one. You know, if you look at, um, you know, when the market bottoms, this is one you buy quickly. Yep. Because it, because of the amount of shorts, you get the short covering pop. So both Flight Center and Webjet, um, I was negative on uh, Flight Center above 20. I'm negative on Webjet above six bucks. But if it falls down, you're picking it up around four or five dollars. When the market bottoms, and I don't know when that is, you'll get the short covering rally. So there's a trading opportunity. It's not an investment for me. Okay. No. All right, let's summarise where we've been in the second half of the show. Uh, we began there with REA Group. Uh, both love the business. Gaurav saying the best quality business on the ASX, in fact. But given where we're in at the market, he's saying, look, if you hold it, yeah, you continue to do so. But uh, he's, he's watching it. He's certainly not buying it at this level. Uh, Mathan, he's nibbling at it. Propel Funeral Partners there, a no from both uh, FSA Group, a hold from Gaurav and a void from Mathan. Um, Whitehaven Coal. Uh, Mathan has a hold on it. Gaurav saying, yeah, he'd still buy it. In fact, it makes up 30% of his portfolio. So <laughs> that tells you what he thinks of it. And finally, their Webjet, a no from both. In fact, uh, Gaurav would probably be selling it at this point. 
All right, that is the show for today. Nathan, thanks for joining us from Deep Dubber Analytics. Thank you. And Gaurav from Intelligent Investor. Always good to catch up. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Uh, I'll see you in studio next time. Absolutely. Hope you get over your cough. Uh, All right. Any stocks you'd like us to cover, flick us an email, the call at ausbiz.com.au or you can tweet us at ausbiztv. A reminder, you can find those stocks we have in the calls portfolio. Head to ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Thanks for watching.